0: Welcome to Episode 8 of Asbury Pod with your hosts Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. Today's guest, Michelle Gladden, Asbury Park's premier journalist, former literary agent, and publishing industry bon vivant.
1: The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Esbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Welcome to Asbury Pod. It's September twenty-first. We're interviewing Michelle Gladden, a journalist with the Asbury Park Press, and more recently with the Asbury Sun. But I think we have to spend a minute on see here now. Well, who are you? I'm Amy Quinn. And I'm Joe I'm Walsh, the deputy mayor in Asbury Park. But mm-hmm. um, as you'll hear in, or you've already heard, uh, this is not at all a city-related podcast.
0: Yeah, the disclaimer still exists before we say anything. So.
1: So, See Here Now, are you going?
0: No. It okay. was sold out before I thought about buying a ticket.
1: Yeah, I think they make you buy tickets before they announce the lineup.
0: Right. And not that I didn't like the lineup, I just hadn't thought about it. And it's like, when I did see the final lineup, I thought, oh, I'm go- I might go, but, well, missed out.
2: You missed out. But there are, on their See Here Now website, there are people reselling tickets last minute who can't go.
0: Okay. For so how much?
2: go. The one I saw last night, I was trying to get for a friend was the woman said, "I just need my money back." I oh. think most people are.
1: I mean, they're expensive tickets to begin with. They're like mm-hmm. So most
2: people who can't go are saying, "Just come get my ticket." This one woman was like, "I'm in Atlantic Highlands. Come get my ticket. That's I great. just need my money back."
0: Well, um, intern Ed lives right by Sunset Park, and Cat Power is playing there she tonight. Is. So nice. I'm gonna she is. I'm gonna get my 100. kayak and sit in the six inch deep sunset lake and see if I can hear uh, well I
1: think Cap Power Sun Cap Power Saturday yeah there's a few so they did a um Spotify playlist that I listened to because I'm old and didn't know who half these people were um oh Dave Matthews I knew because that yeah. you know yeah, he grew up in the back, 90s. Yes. Um, so, and they have a number of women that I'm going to check out that I haven't, I mean, obviously Joan Jett, that that goes without saying, um, she's uh, iconic in every sense of the word, but a woman named Sharon Van Etten. She is great also. Yeah. I listened to her songs yesterday and I listened to a woman named Jade Bird.
0: I don't know Jade Bird. She
1: was also really, really good. Is
0: Sharon Van Etten from New Jersey? I believe she is from New Jersey. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and then we have like Cat Power um what were some other ladies i wanted to check out if so i'm going to check out all the late low light which is a local band so we're gonna we're gonna check them out so you have
0: a ticket you're going
1: i have a ticket and heather has a ticket okay yeah Dropkick um uh-huh. i didn't love them i listened to really? them online yeah it's a little rough for me okay um yeah so heather and i are gonna go Heather's gonna pop some xanax and hope she can deal with that crowd because she loves joan Jett. so can we will shall see if she deals with that i'm
0: crowd. gonna give a shout out to one band um black puma black pumas that are playing on the sand stage today uh are doing an after show at the saint tonight at 10 for 25 dollars Nice. and they i they have one album and it is smoking good neo soul awesome fun I, you know a friend of mine uh-huh. sent me you said go see this band if you can tonight and um they are um you, that's a recommendation. So I never heard, of them. heard so them
1: this morning. So as, I, as we mentioned earlier, CBS yeah. did a special this morning yes. on Asbury Park. Did you see yes. it? Um. And they were on, and they were fantastic. What did you think of the special? I felt they did a great job.
2: Really? But I feel I, like... Really? You didn't? Hmm. Well, what, what
1: were they missing? You know, I feel like the narrative that Danny Glynch somehow is the savior in Asbury Park is like a narrative I don't love.
2: <laughs> so... I don't not love it. I think there are many of us who are saviors in Asbury Park, and but I think nobody it who came on, ten minutes ago. Yeah, but Danny didn't come ten minutes. He came ago. two years ago, right? No, he's had he's had roots in the in the city as a performer and coming here and being here for a long time. So I think when you get inter- when I get interviewed and talk
1: about the revitalization of Asbury Park, you, I credit a large demographic of people. Yes. obviously, black people, mm-hmm. people who never left. Mm-hmm. Artists, mm-hmm. gay people, mm-hmm. small business owners, mm-hmm. um, s- small time investors, right. even the Fasanos, the Scavinos. So uh, when I don't hear those people credited for the, for the revitalization in Asbury Park, like you take a Hampton, right, who put her blood, sweat and tears, tries to make a living selling art in Asbury,
2: or a, or a Kay Harris. So, but that's not clinch's fault. That's the journalist's fault n- for not knowing, not who, doing research. Who was also a, a mediocre white guy. That's the journalist's fault for not doing their research, and that's what's killing us in our industry because we have gotten complacent. And when you are assigned a story, you're supposed to go back and do research. But as the person telling the story
1: of Asbury, you should be crediting everybody who came before you. Exactly. Did they talk to you? No. No, it was...
0: It was just Danny. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so my only point is... Two years ago, Asbury was fine. Mm-hmm. And the revitalization is on the backs of a lot of people that I didn't hear interview. I agree. And I don't love that. I agree 100%.
2: Okay. I'm on the same side with you there. But
1: nobody, I'm not saying anything bad about Danny until Monday because I want to see Joan Jet today and see her now. Okay.
2: I credit Danny, I'll tell you what I credit Danny for. Okay. Is even though he's a newcomer, there are lots of newcomers who don't tip their hats to those people. Danny does. What I love about Danny is he will take our kids, our high school kids, and our young kids, our young 20-somethings, who want to go into this industry. And when he has a national act, he'll tell them to go up on stage and play with them. That's a rare opportunity that these kids are getting. He and Tina curate. They don't publicize it. They don't toot their own horn. But they spend a lot of time nurturing our young people. I think that's fabulous.
1: I think that for me, when we talk about the revitalization of Esbury Park, it's no one who came two years ago. No. It's no one who came five years ago. No. It's the people who, who stayed when everyone left. I agree 100%. And then the people like Kay Harris or, or, listen, or the listen, showroom. We well, know how this goes, They right? put it their starts money with the
2: artists they come in, in 2001 in They the set up the businesses. They got the attention. Mm-hmm. Then the LGBTQ community comes and comes and starts redoing the homes and starts bringing everything in. We know after 2001 and 9-11, most of us fled the city, who felt a certain way, and a large part of the LGBTQ community came here, right? And they set up shop here and did a good job of preserving our homes. Once that happened, then the money started to come. So there was definitely a domino effect. What I think is rare in Asbury Park, is that most of the people who came here and are, and are still here are vested in helping everyone rise up, not being pushed out? I totally I think agree that's with you. rare.
1: I agree with, and I think the majority of people in this town agree with you.
2: I think that's a rare thing I've not seen through the gentrification process before.
1: We've already gotten into it, Joe.
2: Sorry.
0: Our guest today is Michelle Gladden.
2: Hi, everyone
1: um so did you want to say anything about
0: see here now i think it's great i think it's a well done um um yeah, festival they picked the sweet spot for the asbury park weather third week of september seems to be perfect mm-hmm. you know we were talking about um was it bamboozle or other festivals that were earlier in the summer when the air was hot but the ocean was cold so mm-hmm. you ended up with fog then the rest of the summer is just too darn hot so they've hit last year's perfect weather, this year's perfect weather. So I think third week in September seems to be the sweet spot for uh, New Jersey Shore weather.
1: And we have shop here now, which was, is a result of the business committee kind of getting together, looking at what happened during Bamboozled. So if you lived here during Bamboozled, and I, it, I was sitting at, remember, Baca. Do you remember Baca? Yes. Oh. On Cook- yes. Neon Baca. They had good sushi. We're sitting at Baca. And during Bamboozled and it, hundreds, thousands of people coming off the train, not stopping in any yeah. business whatsoever, going down into the Bamboozled Festival. And you couldn't get out once you were in, you had to mm-hmm. stay in the rest of the day. So I love that the business committee is like, okay, we're going to set up all the local businesses on Cookman because that's the route people take. We're going to let every, you know, every business in the downtown put a little table out. So when the mass you know, massive amounts of people are coming here off New Jersey Transit, and obviously we're hoping they're coming here on New Jersey Transit, that you will at least see these businesses. And if you don't stop today or tomorrow, that you come back. Right. So I thought that was such a brilliant initiative by mm-hmm. Kathy Kelly of Paranormal and Bianca from Interwoven. Two of my
2: favorite ladies. Yes,
1: in they are. Ama- there are chairs of the business committee and they're amazing. So Michelle. Yes. Um, I tried to get a picture of you online because I wanted to promote you were coming on this podcast and there is literally none. I like it that way. Okay. Literally none. And then I wanted to be able to ask you a lot of in-depth questions about your long career in journalism and your LinkedIn hasn't been updated in forever. 16 years. Yeah. I like it that way. Okay. So... (laughs) So my research resulted in, I'm just going to ask you all these questions that I would normally look up online. Um, Give us the scoop on what got you involved in journalism, what got you
2: to Asbury Park. So there are a couple of people that I should tip my hat to that got me involved in journalism. One of them was Michael Berman, who was uh, J.F. Kennedy Jr.'s partner in George George Magazine. I worked for him. He was innovative, and while Novix Media, our company, folded, it was an online-only magazine that brought arts, politics, news, everything together. He was innovative, and so he really helped me scratch the sweet spot, but prior to that, my best friend from college years was, was a woman named Casey Myers who writes for the K- uh, Times, She was my best friend, She writes
1: for the New York Times? Cape Cod. Cape Cod Times, okay.
2: Um, We all went there after college for a summer and we ended up staying for 10 years. Casey is the last one that's still there. We were two couples, myself and my boyfriend, she and her boyfriend. We moved there for the summer to sail and we stayed for years.
0: Are you from Massachusetts?
2: No, I'm from Point Pleasant Beach. But after college, that's where we landed.
1: Okay, so your start in journalism, when did you start at the Esbury Park Press?
2: Oh, goodness gracious, I don't even know. It was, after, it was after 9-11. I was working in the publishing industry. I was working for a literary agency, Sterling Lord Literistic. Has a great history, love that man. Um, and I decided I wanted to write, not edit other people's work. And I didn't really know how to get there. The same time my mom was having a major back surgery, so I went down south to be with her through that surgery. Then I came back home and met with my running coach, John Kangro. He and his brother own Mike's Jersey Mike's. Hmm. And he got me an interview at the press. And you got hired. And I got hired. And what beat did they put you on? Not a beat. I had to spend... This is what I love about journalism. You don't really have to have a background. It's one of the last kind of um apprentice careers that you can get involved in. And I started off as a clerk and then got promoted to the weeklies, which don't exist but were a great training ground for people who were getting into the industry. And then my first
0: beat was Howell and
2: Farmingdale.
1: Alabama,
0: How Alabama. So I have a question related to what you just said. You said something interesting about journalism being um apprentice based trade so j schools and journalism majors in the in the colleges have they been bad for newspapers no Hmm. they're not bad
2: i think i don't
0: mean bad meaning bad people but have they put a barrier to entry to the um to profession no
2: people want to say that that a lot of people that i've spoken through over the years think it's an elite you know it's kind of like the liberal elite Mm -hmm. and i have not found it that way now, my experience and with my colleagues, I've sat beside people who went to Princeton and Yale, and was on the same track with them. So,
0: no, it's just a thought. You know, I, you know, I see. You know, um, the pathway to colleges and journalism. You know, in um, these expensive degrees. But you know, as you point out, maybe you don't need that, right? If you have, if you, if you have a gift of the gab and the and you can right that maybe that you can still just jump into it i
2: don't know that that exists today i don't think that the colleges are killing it i think that the verbiage around journalism in this american landscape that we are living in now is what is hurting the fourth estate i agree and Um, i'm just gonna leave it at that (laughs)
1: So you're you're assigned to Alabama. Are you covering Asbury during that time at no. all? No. When, when did you hit Asbury?
2: I never covered Asbury for, for the, the Asbury Park Press, oh, unless that's interesting. unless there was something happening on a Saturday and Sunday. So when you start off in your career, obviously in anything, you have to work the hard hours. So for years, I was the six a.m. to two p.m. reporter. And if there was something happening on a Saturday or Sunday in Howell, I would cover it.
1: What would be happening in Howell?
2: Or anywhere? Not okay, ha- anywhere. What, Asbury festivals. Park, yeah, yeah, anything. Howell has carnivals oh, in yeah. Howell has amazing. Oh, so I okay, so cool. many beautiful things in Howell. I got to meet the Dalai Lama through a group of people who live in Howell.
0: There's, yeah, there's the two Tibet, Tibetan monasteries yes. in Howell, yes. one of which the Dalai Lama spent time in in the years after his exile when yes. nobody knew it was there. And I believe Umar Thurman's dad did his monastic training there yes. in the 50s as well. So. I'm going to
1: tell one experience I had in Howell in okay. 2016. Heather and I meet a bunch of women. We used to volunteer to humane, at, at, in a dog shelter walking dogs. And it was, a, it was one of the women's turn to eat in Howell at a... I think it was a Thai restaurant. So Heather and I are going through. It's prior to the 2016 election. And we're seeing all of these Hillary Clinton signs. And just like, oh, my God, Howl is so big on Hillary Clinton. Like, that just warmed our heart. So we're driving and driving. And then we stop to read the signs. And the signs say Hillary Clinton for jail.
0: Yeah. Parts of Howl are like that. But then you also have the, you see the monks catching the bus. Yes. In their saffron robes. Yes. It's A very um, interesting. Well, Howell
1: thing. must be big.
2: Howell. It big. takes it's one huge. hour to drive from one end of Howell to the other.
1: Okay, so then I was in the shitty part of Howell. Yeah, it
2: there <laughs> are some good parts. There's some bad parts. There's some arts. There's some. Their school district has a great theater arts program. Hmm.
1: Okay, so you you're working at the press. You're working the hours nobody else wants. Um, eventually, Nancy
2: Shields had the.
1: Asbury beat for ye- I mean years. you couldn't get near it yeah 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 you couldn't years get near it Nancy yes yes totally agree with that um, you start eventually at the Asbury Sun mm-hmm. and then all you're covering is Asbury yes and you're com- what's the difference in covering Howell and Asbury Park
2: so the only difference is not about covering it it's about the fact that I now live and work in the community that I cover. That's the only difference. And is that a good thing or a bad thing or both? It's both. I have found it early on. I found it very difficult and challenging because we have ethical lines that we cannot cross as journalists. And when you are friends with the people you are writing about, it causes you to um, think twice about your actions and what you say and do in an article. Because no matter what your subject that you're covering about, we as journalists are not allowed to put our opinions, our point of view. We are only, I'm not a columnist. That's something completely different. And that's what I think some people in this community don't understand. I am not Jan Jacobson. He's allowed to write his opinion. I am not.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And so facts, facts are facts. It's about
2: facts. It's facts are facts. And so, you know, when I have a dear friend that gets busted for growing weed and I have to write that story, it hurts. Does anyone care
1: if people grow weed anymore?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't do it, kids. If you're listening, <laughs> it is a terrible idea. <laughs>
1: um, okay. So issues in Asbury that you like to cover and issues you don't like to cover.
2: Uh, there's very little that I don't like to cover, to be honest. Okay. Um, the thing that I love about Asbury is that we are all opinionated no. and we all say exactly what we think and feel. There's very little filter here. So often there are two people that I adore who are at conflict and they call me up as the journalist to pit one against the other. People know I don't really go down that road anymore, or ever, but not to come to me with that. Um, I love covering the development of Asbury Park. And by development, I don't mean just the buildings and the structures. I mean the businesses that are coming and going, the artists that are coming and going. I love to watch somebody—there's a young lady who came here, and I've seen her develop as an artist— and from the shy person she was when she first came to town to now calling me up and saying, you know, this is it warms my heart to see that. So the progression of the city is always what I'm thinking of looking at. You know, right now, I'm very concerned because there's a group of businesses that are on bangs that I adore seeing green and that whole strip. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they may have to go.
0: Why?
1: Carter Sackman's bo-
2: but,
0: bought it up and preserved oh, the him building. Out. Okay.
2: And while I'm not against what Carter does, and I think he does a lot of great things, I love the fact that he came in here and preserved a lot of the buildings. Um, I'm just concerning about how we preserve the creativity of Asbury Park moving forward.
0: One of the businesses I miss uh, from pre you, know, Asbury, uh, the most I guess the most recent version of Asbury before our current version. Was the one down the street here where um, um, the Italian restaurant is? Though the woman had the vintage store. Oh, I can't think of the name. Place she had a store here and one in Manhattan. It was the uh, she had like crazy hair. She would sell like uh, vintage clothing, like disco clothes, fur coats. Close oh, the 70s. yeah,
1: yeah. Next to heaven, Fasano priced her out. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Susie Susie's. I can't think of the something. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And that was, you know, that's a place I would come down to. And we're talking about, you know, when we were talking earlier. It's about now the, Capital Line, I think, Yeah, that could never. Oh, I always right. want to say Remus, but that's the wolf. Yeah, yeah, no, it's Capital almost, Line. But, okay. um, the, you, that's a place we used to. Before I moved to Azeroth, a place we would come down to and just stop in. When nice. there was like nothing else going on, right. there was really no other business. On I was going to say
1: that to me is like a pioneer of Esbury mm-hmm. Park, right? A woman who you know took her money and you know tried to make a go when nobody was making a go on Cookman, right? Nobody was making a go on Cookman at that point,
0: right? And it was a, she was a very interesting person. So she and her husband, uh, her partner, had a, they have another store in the city. Um, I don't know if they're still you now. It's been a while now, so they could. They're both getting up there so maybe they retired but i just mm-hmm. thought it was an interesting um arts connection yeah to our or odd connection to new york and like the sort of oddball um good kind of oddball I'm f- like clothing and art pe- scene you know
2: i'm very sad about art tank uh, yeah if that has to go right
1: oh you're very i'm sorry art tank. Art, art tank art tank yes Listen, the, the gentrification that's happening in Asbury Park is heartbreaking for me as well. Um, there there aren't, you know, and I'm a person who, like, if there's a problem, I, I, I need to find the solution to it. But, you know, the 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 gentrification going on throughout the city but in the downtown in terms of, like, the artist is is just heartbreaking.
0: But is there more space for them to go? I mean, doesn't it – you know, I've always – lamented the fact that the businesses in Asbury center around Cookman than in nowhere else. Like you know, can we start stretching down Main Street, you know, or the other side of Main Street or now back down to Bangs. Other side. Yeah. Um
1: I think you're starting to see that a little bit in right. Asbury. But like so when a private developer um buys up a building, the city doesn't have control. So here's when we have controls, when it's I star when somebody wants a pilot, right? Somebody wants what's called a payment in lieu of taxes. The city has some controls on that, in the mm-hmm. sense that if you want that, here's what I want, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to give me what I want for me to give you what you want. But when a private developer is buying up a, a block and and for. People in Massachusetts, your friend, mm-hmm. your, one of four. People well, shout who out to our, the, our new listeners
0: from Providence in DC. Mm-hmm. Welcome aboard, both um, of you.
1: Carter Sackman's probably our biggest developer in the downtown, and and is continuing to buy. Um, when private developers are buying up places and pricing people out, there isn't a mechanism for the city to stop it. I mean, that's that's that thus, or at least there is not a mechanism that we've been made aware of to stop it.
0: Well, let me ask a, um, a question from ignorance of city uh, of governance can we zone storefront and say we want storefront merchants along these things. So you can build residences up, but we want storefront property and that would it are, flatten it is out the rents that, that yeah. merchants so need to pay. So the city has
2: a lot of control over what they do with the zoning laws and the city spent a lot of time just redoing their master plan. I think that they did a great job of bringing it into the community and having some feedback. Um, my concern is I think that the, affordable housing the inclusionary zoning could have come a lot earlier i think um and i'm sorry to beat you up on that but i no, just no, think no, I that think we okay. lost <clears throat> excuse me we lost an opportunity to control you know having affordable housing for some of these young people in our community that are just starting out in their career or
1: right and i'll take that critic I, I will take that criticism and say that is that is a regret but and and I've run for office now three times and I've knocked on, I'm going to say, uh, over thousands of doors mm-hmm, in Asbury mm-hmm. over those three elections. And in 2013, the number one issue in Asbury Park, hands down, unequivocally, was crime. Yeah, Number one issue, didn't matter where you lived. In 20, I ran again in 2014, and that was really about redevelopment and mm-hmm. workforce redevelopment or unemployment rates were were sky high and in 2016 the conversation started about affordable housing mm-hmm. right because it was kind of catching up with everybody and i don't th- i think if if the number 1 issue in 2013 had been affordable housing we would have prioritized that issue i don't think we saw it until 2016 so 2017 so i
2: want you to know that it's not a criticism i think it's just when you look back in hindsight totally. you have 2020 vision yeah 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 totally right? so it's not a criticism it's just an analysis of This is how it went. This is what happened. But if we had, by we, I mean the ubiquitous we, if we had turned our eyes and vision on the fact that more people are coming here, we have these artists, we have these young people that we want to keep here, it would have been a different story to tell.
1: I think if we had been prioritizing it back on 2016 forward, it, it of course, yeah. yeah, when it made a world of difference. And what people don't understand with the affordable housing element, it has drastic effects on our schools, right? So our schools, with their declining enrollments, are also, you know, a lack of affordable housing. And, um, you know, the the developers in town who are revamping buildings and and certainly making them beautiful many of the people in town can't afford those rents anymore certainly people who are sending their kids to thorogood or bradley or obama so the, the that element of, of the gentrification in Asbury is complicated and i think nobody would argue that it, it is also heartbreaking
0: yes i think this sh- the interesting thing to think about or that i think about is the speed of the price increases in Rents and property, not along the waterfront, but elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, at the, um, you know, houses are now going five, six, seven hundred thousand or more out at the, um, a mile off the water. Mm-hmm. You know, and that happened very quickly. Oh, yeah. From a hundred thousand to seven. Oh, I agree. And that, the speed of that was quite remarkable. You
2: know? But that's market driven, and that's yeah. what gentrification brings, mm-hmm. right? So,
0: yeah, on you know, the water, that made sense. Yes. You know, and um, I think that's what caught everyone off guard. Is like, well, even... Like, I think it caught us off guard. Like back, can say that unequivocally. You know, you know, back by the entrance to Route 35, which is right. noisy and, and lots of cars. Right, still the Neptune border. Right. So
2: I will say, and then I know we have to move on, but I will say that it's a very delicate balance, and I do believe that these developers are speaking to one another, but... Um, Pat Fasano was speaking about this a couple years ago when he was pushing iStar to develop quicker because Pat Fasano is one of those developers who provides things for the everyman, right? If you look at Capital Line, if you look at his apartments, they're always for the people who work here. His pricing, Bond Street Bar, everything is for, you know, not necessarily the elite. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can do both. But I think behind, of what, behind what Pat was ranting about or raving about was he saw that he was having to push his tenants that had been there for years out because of the taxes. Mm-hmm. So he was pushing for iStar to go quicker. Now, I agree that iStar should not go quicker because we don't want to become AC with a bunch of tall buildings on the waterfront, and all of a sudden it turns into a ghetto, mm-hmm. right? We don't want to develop too fast. We want to do it at a tempered pace. So it's a hard balance. And for smarter minds than I. Okay, what's next, are we moving on?
1: We can move on, uh, or not. Or not, we can, it's up yeah, to yeah, you guys. Yeah, whatever you guys are feeling. No, whatever feeling. you want, I was, I was- I'm gonna go, li- um, why don't we go a little lighter? I was
0: thinking- yeah. <laughs>
2: Let's
1: do a little yeah. lighter. Yeah. If you could live in any building or house in Asbury Park, which one would it be?
2: The one I'm living in now. Really? I adore my home. Okay. I live live in a pre-war building that has beautiful hardwood floors. It has a lot of history. It's got enough space for this, you know, old lady. (laughs) (laughs) It's got the right amount of space. The only thing I miss about it is an outdoor space. So hopefully one day, you know, my landlord would let me do a roof garden, but I love it.
1: Okay, and Joe, if you could, where would you go?
0: Any building? Any
1: building? Any building? At, building. Or house? You can. You, oh I, I hand it to you, and you live in it.
0: Well, we were like, you know, um, for a while when we were in the Santander, I covered. So I covered. I covered that penthouse, the one we all that, that uh, was upstairs for me tander, for a couple yeah, years that yeah. was vacant. Um, you know. Uh, That was really interesting. And then, um, but then, you know, when you see uh, the other one uh, that was Jay's, it was... uh,
1: So I would actually say Jay's was probably the one I coveted the most.
0: Yeah, I didn't see it until... um, And that's inside the Santander? Yeah, Yeah, it's on the top. And
1: it's probably like 2,500 square feet. Yeah. Yeah, just huge, beautiful, beautiful views. And he, all Spanish style inside as well. Just a really gorgeous building. So I would have also said the penthouse of the Santander. I, I don't love heights, so that's... That would be a little complicated for me, but that would probably if somebody said, "Where could you live?" anywhere in Asbury it would be. But different. I have
0: like four or five houses in my mi- mind, but I don't know how to tell you. I'm like kind of vaguely over that way. Yeah, You yeah, know, right, I right, drive right. past uh, yeah. um, a few houses. You know, there's one on Sunset I like. It looks like a wedding cake, um, or reminds me of a wedding cake. Really.
1: <laughs> and we talked about this: a place that you miss that has closed up in Asbury Park. <sighs> So I'll do mine because mine's easy. There used to be this restaurant called Insano. Insano. It was on Main Street where Brando's is. Oh, also okay. here before anybody else was.
0: I ate here, there, many they years ago. They had really good food. Yeah, it was great.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was wow. fabulous. It was this place on Main Street. It wasn't there long. Maybe a year. Maybe a, maybe a little long, longer than a year. Um, I'm going to say early 2000s. I don't remember when. It was. Um, and it was a, it was just a really good food place. Uh, I'll also give credit to a place called Oddfellas. They they were later. Mm-hmm. They were a, probably solid five years later. But Oddfellas, which is, um, over by, at the time it was Harry's Roadhouse. Um, now it's Taka. Um, that was that was kind of a cool place to go. You went there. Did you I not go to Oddfellas?
0: I don't remember going there. No. Yeah,
1: the guy who did the lanes did it, and it was oh, um, nice. it was a very cool place.
2: Uh, you got one. So you just touched on mine the lanes. The I mean lanes, I love the right. new lanes but the the what was at the lanes what they created was something that was special and just unique and beautiful.
0: The old lanes were fun.
2: The old lanes was just magical and I love that ru- the ruddiness of it inside. I just I don't know.
1: Yeah, we had Jen um on the show talking about the you know art obviously right. in Esbury Park and the lanes and that is a really really complicated complicated heartbreaking topic it is a
2: heartbreaking topic for her and i adore her but i really think that what the new lanes is is also dynamic and beautiful and spectacular Mm -hmm. and i like it i like going in there i like supporting the diner because what they've done is they've given the people at the diner a bit of autonomy which i like you know and it's folks from the west side who live and work in there and run it and they've given them a bit of autonomy and that to me means a lot
1: what Asbury Park story do you think needs more coverage?
2: How long do we have?
0: We have as long as you want.
2: You have like 10 more minutes. Because oh. we started.
0: Do you have a bulleted list?
2: I have a list that is so long, but they're all kind of, I think, a domino effect on one another. But So I will say that next year is the 50th anniversary of the riots in Asbury Park. And I think the important thing to note is while we're still struggling with being a red-line community. Um, what does that mean? So a, a red-line community are communities across the nation that are separated by railroad tracks. And on one side, the socioeconomic and culture is different than on the other. And on the other side, it's It's what we see in the Southwest. Um, Now, the Southwest is getting better, but the struggles and— Southwest
0: of Asbury, not necessarily the country. Yes. Sorry. Mm. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Um, The struggles that we see are a national—it's a national discussion that's happening in chicago in it's all over every everywhere that you have a community where it's diverse and you have affluence on one side and poverty on the other
0: and by redlining i think when when you go back to the beginnings of the foundations of asbury and other uh municipalities like, you know, in history in chicago these were by design. Yes, these neighborhood uh, separations and segregations were by design. Yes, they're not accident, and they so they have roots going back a hundred years or yes. more that are difficult to uproot and change. And in the, in, maybe that's a story about the we should have uh, about the origins of Asbury when there was a town of West Asbury. Yes, different town. Yes, different rules. Railroad tracks in the middle, and that the original dynamic is still in play. Yes, you know, and. Um, So history is not past right exactly and so that in Chicago all of these uh, you know there's very interesting um, um, well interesting and tragic histories here.
2: yes
1: so you have been an advocate for the gay community for many many years starting in Provincetown
2: no so when I got out of college I moved to California And I worked for uh, Deke Pereira, that became Deke International. It was a foreign exchange company when we bought and sold uh, currency and precious metals. And part of the edict of that company was that you had to do volunteer. I went to volunteer at a clinic, a male clinic, and it was the height of the AIDS pandemic. And I, went and volunteered where men were dying of AIDS, a vast number. And it was predominantly gay men. And that was really, I made some friendships and it was a hard reality, something that had never been in my vision before. And so that was what laid the foundation or the route for me. And then when I moved to Provincetown with my boyfriend, my college boyfriend, and my best friend and her boyfriend, um, I had no idea that, I moved there sight unseen, I had no idea that it was, you know, this old Portuguese fishing village with artists and the LGBTQ community all living together well. Um, And so it was just something that was nurtured, I guess, inside of me.
1: And so you tell kind of, or you you've talked to me about it and maybe it's not something you want to talk about on the air, but, but a, a story with the AIDS epidemic and people dying of AIDS and not having access to medications Yes, that you would essentially go into people's homes and get their medications.
2: Yeah, so I think probably the um, what is it called when you commit a crime and then you, if it's ten years down the road you're okay now. The Statute of limitations. The statute of limitations have run out, so maybe I can't talk about it. Um, yeah, so that was the early '90s, and men were dying. You know, people were coming to Provincetown to die, to 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 live out the rest of their lives, men and women, and um, but it was predominantly men that I was seeing and involved with that were my family and so we had a group of us and i can't say his name but one of our friends had about two or three dresser drawers that were all lined up and when someone died before their family or anyone got in there we would run in there and take their medications and we would um everything would be kind of You know, it looked like an apothecary, right? It would be labeled. And so people who didn't have insurance or the resources, but knew what they had and what they needed, could come to this young man and get what they needed.
0: I'm a little speechless about that. Yeah, it was. Of course, but not surprised, right? The way the system.
2: It was the way the system worked, and you know we had it was we had some wealthy people, and then we had some people who were not at all, and living on the fringe, and so we all took care of one another.
1: For my book club at Words, for the record, for God, I think it's been going on for ten years. Our last book that we just read was called *The Great Believers*, which was. interesting, but it was about the AIDS epidemic in Chicago, which was later than the AIDS epidemic in San Francisco mm-hmm. or New York City, because uh, it, it took a while, quite frankly, to get to Chicago. Mm. Um, and f- just plugging that book, it was a really, really fascinating book. And we have a local resident who's in, my, in our book club who was involved, I assume, well, maybe I won't say his name just in case. Um, who who's in my book club? Who was living in Chicago when the AIDS epidemic hit there, mm-hmm. um, and just similar sim- people struggling to get the drugs, and then the drug side effects were just so horrend- yeah. horrendous, like AZT, um, that it just um, it was horrible. Yeah. Anyway, I digress onto that a little. bit. I mean, I mean,
0: it hasn't changed much in the sense that you, know, medic-, medic medicine is now or medical insurance is forcing people to become public beggars through GoFundMe on Facebook. Yeah. You know, um, very uh, banana system. So, Amy, we're coming to the end of our time. We are. Should we ask the million-dollar question?
2: What is the million-dollar question?
0: If 60 Minutes gives you a million dollars to produce a story, what do you produce?
2: Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. I think it's what we've been talking about. We produce we produce a series on the development of Asbury Park and the socioeconomic repercussions, advancements. Who are these people? What is their story? You know, as a person who lives and works here, I have the opportunity to meet people. Um, I purposely, I want to say one thing, I purposely don't own a car in this community. Excuse me, I purposely don't own a car in this community because the majority of the people who live in Asbury Park cannot afford a car. Hmm. And I'm talking about not, I'm talking about the Southwest right, neighborhood. And so, but here's a dangerous thing and I have to correct myself. Um, Black people live in all four quadrants of Asbury Park. And I, I get very frustrated when people talk about black folks don't live on the east side. On my block, I have at least five different families, single mother, a struggling couple. We are not all in the southwest quadrant. We live all over. And by we, I mean the socioeconomic we and we with color. Um, and... That's important because I don't want the new people to come in here and look past us. We've lived here. We want to stay here. Don't push us out.
0: The the car thing is is interesting. Several years ago, I noticed on my way to work, I was driving out 33 to 66, that there was a young man walking along 33 from the 35 circle. So I didn't know where he lived. My guess was Asbury, Neptune. Mm -hmm. He had his Walmart shirt on, and I realized he was walking all the way out to walmart Mm -hmm. and i would see him in the morning and then i was coming home at night he'd be walking the other direction um back i don't know how many miles that is uh, for lack of a car and so tremendous effort to get to work to a job that likely couldn't pay him enough to buy a car right to change the circumstances Mm -hmm. of the dynamic and i guess i don't know if there's a bus out there but you know maybe walking was faster than the bus But I just thought it was interesting. He and I are working the same hours, right? But he has an hour walk in his commute every day. Uh, I think he's moved on. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but there was like a you know a summer where I saw that kid every other day. So why
2: didn't you pick him up and give him
0: a ride? I was running late. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I also, it, I don't know if we kind of, you know, I'm always late, but also that would be kind of weird, like roll up on a, like a teenage boy and be like, hey, yeah, get my car. Yeah, so weird. You yeah. can't no,
1: so do that. I will,
2: no, so I will tell you that when I first started at the press, I did the same thing. Yeah. And the the transit in, in New Jersey is, while they try to do their, their, their utmost best it's terrible do they try to do their
1: utmost best it takes an
2: hour and a a a half to get it takes an hour and a half to get to some place that would take you 20 minutes or 15 minutes in a car Mm -hmm. right even the even the other day when i went out to go meet with the prosecutor who i've known for years and years and years i go out to meet with him and my back was you know not doing well so i was going to take public transit Instead, I took a cab, and at the end of the day, it cost me $80 oh to just God. go visit the prosecutor yeah. for a day.
0: It is-
1: can I can I just do a plug on scooters? Because you all know when scooters, yes. I aged 20 years when scooters came out because mm. people were screaming, me it's and Manzella path. both. Um, what I am loving seeing about scooters, and I absolutely didn't factor in, and maybe Manzella did, was the amount of people throughout the town and people of color using the scooters. And it's then- a It was amazing.
2: It's a great socioeconomic equalizer. So you have wealthy people and you have poor people riding the same vehicle. Right. It's unity. And loving it. It's bringing us together. And that's part of what's important in this community are finding those sweet spots where it doesn't matter how much money you make or where you come from, here we are enjoying the same thing. And
1: totally different than the bike share. Yes. Not the bike share absolutely is a great program and i love it and i'm glad we have it but not the same experience at all
0: uh look when you use the spin app look where all the scooters are they're all over right but they they um when it, the first couple weeks it was um it was open i, I you know i couldn't find one on our block Look, like all the ones on on the west every side every kid in town was taking every kid, kid on took one block. and took it to the beach yeah. like they, so uh, they kept having to increase the number on on the west side for people to use. And uh, people were riding them everywhere. I thought it was great. Yeah. You know? And they
2: just added more locations, too. Yeah.
1: And for See Here Now, we brought out 250. Yeah.
2: yeah
1: There's 250 so important. scooters out. So anyone driving in Asbury right now should really just pay attention.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. We're getting drive. a lot of people that are complaining. The drivers, the motorists are complaining. Well, tough. You know, and it's like, well, you shouldn't be going that fast and you should be alert and looking because a lot of people in this community walk. We are, we're changing us, we're, we're also changing a mindset, bike. right? Like, this is a 1.4 square mile community. You can walk across it within 20 minutes because I do it in the winter, right? So I think that we have to just understand that you don't need, if you're at home, you don't need to get in your car to go to Walgreens. You can now hop on a scooter.
1: Right. So we're going to wrap up because Jan has to open her store in four minutes. Um,
0: and we could talk for hours. Yeah, we, w- we really could.
2: We scratched the surface. Yeah, and, the, and next oh, we month we're going to be back
1: and I'm going to say their names because I have them confirmed. Okay, but of course, good. Now they're not going to, now they'll, for whatever reason, show up. Do you know how hard it's been for me to get John Moore on this? Oh because my he gosh. doesn't know what the fucking is. So he doesn't want to fucking come on it. <laughs> you so know, John- the amount of of shit that I've had. Can you just come on, John? And and I say this, and I mean this sincerely, John Moore, the 70-year-old straight white guy who was the former director of DPW is probably truly my best friend. I talk to him probably six times a day. But to try to get him on the show has been challenging at best, but he has committed.
2: So I'm going to tell you something. When I did my summer camp program with the middle schoolers, John Moore, even though we were fighting at the time, mm-hmm. he showed up. He showed up for like two and a half, three hours and met both of my summer camp classes. I, I had about 48 kids in all. And he met Donnie, who works on our form. And John Moore did such an amazing job of basically interviewing this young man that we want to get the two of them on TV. Where John, like I just think conversation with the mayor for APTV Oh, he's really good. He's really good.
1: He's really good. He, really he can good. be really good. He can be a total fucking asshole as well. I know,
2: but he's smart. But he smart can be really, and really, really good. And he can, he's one of those people where he can be <laughs> among kings and he can be mal- among the paupers.
0: Yeah, if we didn't have an well.
1: explicit rating before between John Moore and I. Yes, Spotify
0: oh. hit us with an explicit language rating. Did they really? Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah, yeah. Like, you
2: notice um, I was okay. very good about
1: okay, okay.
0: Well, it's we're, not, it's we're not, totally it's never getting away so
1: john moore is going to be on in october and kevin ketty who oh yeah yeah he was easy to get though
2: and you got to talk to
1: him and about fire music. prevention month or about
0: something music like that.
2: yes gotta yeah, he talk plays to
1: kevin uh, about pipes. Back... i know really? there you guys got to go. well, talk
0: you gotta, to him uh, about music. You i get coffee behind LinkedIn. him at, at roastery you know, yeah like most days but i've never said you'll meet him so those are our two october guests i love it yes i love
1: it okay uh we're done thank you
0: well thank you all and um We'll see you in a week. Asway Pod gratefully acknowledges the support of Words, Asway Park's only independent bookstore, offering new and gently used books for all readers. Words also hosts a range of literary and social events for adults and children. Located on 623 Cookman Avenue, Words is open every day save Tuesday from noon to 5. Stop by and say hello.